Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is the mouth of Mandanus. 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 Welcome to the mouth of manliness with me, Nick Noise. Um, I have got a really great guest, actually. I'm really, really pleased to have you on. Uh, welcome, Jason Perry. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to have you on, actually, because, uh, well, started you in A, and I really mm-hmm. liked A. Um it was funny, last night, I was going, you know that fucking song. My wife doesn't know music, really. Uh, she likes Eurythmics and R.E.M., and that's about it. And uh, I was like, so last night I was in bed going, you know this song? And I was playing, uh, um, uh, you know the one, that, give me some love, give me oh, some Oh, yeah, give me some skin, nothing. Yeah. Oh, nothing. Nothing, yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah, I know that one. I was like, yeah, I would have thought you would. It's a pretty fucking massive tune. And then, um, yeah, and then, so we've got a mutual friend in um, Stuart with him. Yeah, we love Stu. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, and he suggested, like, basically he talks about you quite a bit. And uh, and, he's, and I was saying earlier that he, uh, he recounts your stories, like your band stories to me. And then I'm like, fucking, that's so cool. And uh, so, yeah, we often... So we often cool like, stories has been recounted. I don't think I've got any... This going to be quite disappointing. I don't have many cool stories. He's picking them all up, and then you're going to... Uh, really? Is that all that happened? There was... Uh, well, sometimes it's just something straightforward, like, you played with Faith No More, is that right? I told, yeah, I told you Faith No More, yeah. Yeah. So, first, like... Yeah. That's, a, that's an instant win with us, Jace. That's an instant win. Well, imagine being me. I remember my favourite band in the world and then you're on tour with them. Yeah. It was incredible. Like, we've... We were shit, though. I wish we'd have told them when we were good. But I guess all bands look back and go, yeah, we were shit at that time. And you kind of 
you can't regret it. You've just got to be glad that you did it because you're just learning. The best thing about music is you're learning on the job. Yeah. <laughs> I remember saying to my brother the day we got a record deal, I woke up the next morning like drenched in sweat, which I do quite a lot, obviously anxious. It's like, shit, I feel like we just passed the world's biggest driving test and now we've got to be on the world's busiest motorway tomorrow with the crazy drivers and juggernauts and people in sports cars and people who've been driving for years and evil Knievel and wearing our little Morris Minor and we've just learned to drive and going, ah! But now we're in the same world as Michael Jackson and Faith No More and James Like We've got a record deal. We're not a band trying to get signed anymore. We've just got a massive record deal. So we're, like, we're that now. But we're not any better than we were yesterday. We were shit yesterday. So <laughs> how, long did, how long was it from, like, like, did it take you long to get a record deal? Were yeah, you, like... Ages. Ages. Playing for years. Um, I've got I've got a few anecdotes about it. If you want, I've been boring, but um, we, we we all I ever wanted when I saw the I saw the jam when I was eleven, and that was my first gig, and and that was it. That's what I wanted to be. It was a singer in a band. So that's all I ever wanted, and I didn't know how. I couldn't play any instruments, and then when we moved to London, we moved to London with um, Dan, and and um, from the, it was in the darkness. So and a bunch of other mates. We all lived in the same house and we were into bands like Jesus Jones and EMF and we became best mates with them. So every day around our house would be members of Future, The Darkness, EMF, Jesus Jones, Mary Biker, me and Adam and our mates. And we'd all just hang out all day long. Then we'd go to Cannon Palace together and get drunk, feet first. And then... It's a fucking good night out, that is. We used to go there. Really exciting time and... Then we built a little studio, I me, mean, Adam and James Atkin and Mary Biker, who was in this band called Hyperhead at the time, wasn't it? Um, and James from EMF and me and Adam at this studio in Shoreditch. We built 50 quid a week rent. And, and we were trying so hard to get a record deal. That's what I remember. And all I wanted was a record deal. And I put my life on hold. Never had a girlfriend, never went out, n- never had any money. You know, we got thirds on a travel card every day. Three hours each in London, come back, the other guy would use a travel card, all that stuff. Really poor and probably quite unhappy, but we kept each other busy and we had a real good time, real good laugh. But felt like the rest of the world was kind of getting on with its life and we were just slowly losing it. Yeah. And then one day there was um we'd done another and another record label said no, and and then everyone liked us and everyone's around our house. I'm thinking, why is James an EMF all around our house and, and Jesus Jones. And why, why are we all hanging out together, but yet we can get a record deal? And then um, there was a program on TV with The Who, and John Enfisal, who's obviously dead now from The Who, said, if you're trying to get a record deal, you don't deserve one. And I was, I was genuinely, I'll never forget it, I was genuinely gutted and, and angry about it. And I went to bed fuming, thinking, the arrogant prick, you know, multi-millionaire, rock star telling me that I don't deserve a record deal because I'm trying and then it just suddenly like this penny dropped and I was like fuck he's right like, was, do I think Paul Wallen was trying or Mick Jones or EMF did they try no no one I know who's got a record deal who's good we're trying to get a record deal why are we trying and the next day we, we started again and within within six months we had nine record deals on the table really 
all from not trying, all from just stop trying to do what we thought people wanted. And we just, we just like, why, why we got this house where everyone hangs out with us? Why we got this kind of beastie boys gang mentality with our mates? Why don't we just package that? Why don't we do our own demos in a in a bathroom and just be more punk rock about it? You know, we're into punk rock bands, but we're trying to make these really slick. We're trying to look like a real band. Why are we always trying to look like a real band? What does that even mean? And then just like that, we stopped and we, we turned our tap on of what we're good at. And ironically, on our fourth album, when they got big, our fourth album, we turned that tap off without knowing it. And then the band was over. We just turned into a boring rock band. We, we turned into... Other members of the band don't agree, but my band, for me, turned into what we used to be before we had a record deal, before that moment, and it ruined everything. And that's what made me become a record producer, to stop having two of the bands, because we needed someone at that time to say, you know, we're in Seattle for four months with Terry Day, we've done Nick Biscuit and Deftones and Pantera in this massive studio in Seattle for months and months, making these huge sounding rock record, and then came back and... Kaiser Chiefs are number one with this kind of indie rock record that wasn't huge sounding and like, but full of personality. I'm like, me and Adam, were like, we used to be like that. We used to have loads of personality and we've just lost it all. We, we, we've, turned into, we've turned into everything that we thought was boring. So it was a big lesson because on our second and third album, we got the balance right between writing good songs big production but we still had loads of personality we're still writing small like small lyrics like the streets would write and we still had that gang mentality of you know all we wanted all we wanted for our band was to be the band that people wanted to be in that was it that was our mantra um and then by our fourth album I was like I don't want to be in this band it's just boring it's so what too. was it was it uh, a bit of like trying trying to off maybe yeah trying, trying to have a hit after we'd had a hit yeah and, um, and now I say to bands, if you really give a shit, you've got to get yourself into a headspace where you don't give a fuck. Yeah. And, it's, and, you know, all, all great creations really come from the back of a napkin. You know, these great ideas, and you've got to get yourself into this position where it don't matter. And, um, and then, then let the magic in and, and, then, and then embrace it and then work on it. But starting, yeah, but... From, starting from a point of we need to make a big record. Yeah. You, you end up making a, unless you're Nickelback and they could do that in their sleep. But we weren't. We, we weren't, or we're not the Deftones. We can't make this sonic, huge, emotive, sonic expanse that, that, that the Deftones can. Where, where Blur on song two, where the Beastie Boys on Check Your Head, where Pavement, you know, that, that's what we are. And, um, and we, we lost that and started writing these big, fat, heavy riff rock songs, which we loved at the time. I've been very negative about it, but um, the reason I'm being negative about it is it just reminds me of, you know, we got ourselves back into that really caring. When we did Hi-Fi Serious and nothing, didn't give a fuck with the label liked it or not. It's like, we're, this is, this, we're going to write a, a riff that won't get on radio, one goes, it's so heavy. Um, and we're not going to write a chorus with a melody. We're going to write a chorus with me shouting, give me some love, give me some skin. But by then we were really good at it and we knew how to write a song and dynamics and space and and, and the Zygeist helped, right? What music was big on radio then. Um, if you think though also like um like what N Twistle said 
you've got to deserve it. Like at that point, you deserved it because you'd done the work. You know, like I think people yeah, would try and buy work. Yeah. And at that point, you'd done the fucking work. You got to a point where, like, you knew who you were and you knew what you were doing. Um, yeah. And like, years we had a record deal. We did 260 shows a year. Yeah, really. Driving ourselves, yeah. First two years, and then and then we got proper tours. Not Faith No More and. You know, the offspring and Green Day and like big, big arena tours. Um, but we, yeah, we paid our dues. <laughs> so, did you play with James Addiction as well? Never played with James. I mean, I met Perry a few times. I remember meeting Perry at Lollapalooza, not Lollapalooza. Is it Lollapalooza? Did you do Lollapalooza? No, I went over to New York to see a lot of, just see one Lollapalooza on Randall's Island when they had it in New York because my mate Sam. Um, she was she was the travel agent for Tool and for Rage, and um, and she said, "Oh, and Snoop Dogg as well." And Snoop was playing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great thing because like, Mayor Giuliani wouldn't let Snoop into Manhattan, and and Lollapalooza then was on Randall's Island, which is just outside of Manhattan, but on the island where it's a prison island, isn't it? And um, so he wasn't allowed to stay. I think he stayed in Brooklyn or Queens or something. And then, um, and then he parked. We were backstage in Tools tour bus. So, I love Tool. And then, um, and then this other tour bus parks next to us, and it's Snoop Dogg's tour bus. And 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 everyone's like, "Oh, cool, Snoop's here." <laughs> it's people carrier. So imagine he's like I don't know, six meters between tour buses, and then this black people carrier reversed in between. Between Tool's tour bus and Snoop's tour bus, and Snoop got out of the door of his tour bus into the people carrier, and then he drove the length of the people carrier. (laughs) 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 And he got out, (laughs) so he never touched the ground in New York because he wasn't allowed. (laughs) It was amazing. We were watching it going, yeah! And he's made out of Tool cheering and banging on the window, and, and then Perry got on the bus and I was just like, I felt so out of place. I was sitting here on Tools tour bus with Perry Farrell and Maynard watching Snoop Dogg. And I didn't even have a record deal then. And we just got signed. And it's like, man, you know, when you've got imposter syndrome, you just want to go home and you've got to enjoy it. Yeah. I haven't had those kind of experiences, but um, like I um, played like jammed with. Um, Nick McCabe, my favourite guitar player from the Verve, and I had proper imposter syndrome. I was like, wow, this is fucking mental. If I met Perry Farrell or anyone from Jane's Addiction, like, they were like my first band that I absolutely loved. Perry's voice and the whole double tracking name. Yeah. I love Jane's Addiction so much. Me and Stu always talk about that marquee gig that none of us went to, but. we all feel like we went there because it was like this bootlegged. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Perry just got a skinhead. And um, we like, it's the first time he looked really cool. And it was just one of those seminal gigs, but I don't know anybody who went, but everybody I know has seen the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mate had it. That's why we both saw it. My mate had it, Peter. It's so good. Yeah. And I saw the story, I think, on the ritual tour, and it was mind blowing. I finally got to see 
I saw him years and years ago at Reading, uh, and was it was pissing down with rain. And Perry had on he was really kind of like really elaborate hat. He's probably like mincing around the stage, and I was just, and he played summertime roles, and like just add me. I was crying my eyes out, yeah. screaming the lyrics. I went to one of the best moments of my life pre pre children, pre getting married, and all that family emotional stuff was we used to go snowboarding a lot. And I remember being in, in California, snowboarding down Heavenly Mountain, Lake Tahoe, with my old Walkman disc on, and just shouting, come in, down the mountain! Well, snowboarding, and just yeah. feeling like fucking more alive than I've ever felt. Like, this is what drugs must be like. So I've never taken a drug. And I don't think I could, it was almost like an out-of-body experience of, of just euphoric happiness from music and adrenaline and just, oh, my God. And you exercise about how big that is when it comes in. And it's, yeah, that's what I was about to say. That album, like, <laughs> like that's, that's my favourite James album. Like, in some ways, I kind of like some of the songs on the other ones. Like, they're more epic on Ritual, but the, the overall sound is fucking huge or nothing shocking. Yeah, there's a na- naivety to it as well. Like the vocals are all out of time, but the double tracking's not tight enough. And Jane says, like, just, 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 just Jane says, like, opening to just the timbre of his voice in that. And you just know he's nodding his head and he's like, oh, we're so good. Fuck. It's incredible. And I'm gutted that my kids missed that whole rock thing. This, like, they're into pop. Like, I, like my, one of my kids is into, like, real pop, like Ariana and, and, and Taylor Swift, and I love that. And then one of my other kids is really into hip hop. And um, in fact, he just got me into this kid called Postcard Boy, who's amazing. But he, he played me a little peep before I'd heard a little peep. And, Have and you Postman watched the Little Peep documentary on um, Netflix? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's awful, yeah, though, isn't it? It's quite heartbreaking. It's sad at the end, it really is. Yeah. But, um, what was, but they'll never get, so they've got their own world now, which is great. I don't think they'll ever get, I don't think rock music could ever be like that, where there was this, just this 10 years of it just being like, everything was insane. It was incredible, wasn't it? We were so lucky in the 90s. It was just so amazing. Yeah, it kind of went from like right out there kind of bands. So you'd get like the extremes of EMF, you'd get like the levelers, you can get Carl, yeah. and, and, then, and then you get all the American bands who sounded fucking loads bigger. And then even it went, even though, you know, like for, for like it or hate it, we went into Britpop. Yeah. It's still like there was just a lot of good music around. Really, and yeah. then, um, and then. Lots of identity as well. Like Britpop had, like bands like Suede and stuff had such an identity. All the bands really knew what they were. And I just um, read um, uh, um, Brett Anderson's second book, actually. Oh, he's a genius, isn't he? Brett I fucking Anderson. love Suede. Yeah. I'm a massive, massive. I'm a massive fan of. Actually, I wasn't a massive fan at the time, but I am now. Looking back, I really appreciate them, and I feel a bit of a. I hate not liking stuff, and I didn't like suede, and I didn't like olives, and I've grown to like olives, and I've grown to like suede. Mushrooms, and I'm gutted that I don't, I'm missing out on mushrooms. Everyone goes on about them. I, I didn't like mushrooms until. Like, I never used to eat, uh, I never used to like burgers because I had onions in them. And then one day, uh, my dad chucked me out of home and I went to live with my mate who was a chef. 
and he would cook stuff. And I never used to eat mushrooms either. And he would cook stuff with mushrooms and onions. And his food was so amazing that I was like, I'll try anything. <laughs> and it got me into food. Plus, I used to smoke loads and loads of weed, so I was fucking starving all the time. And he converted me to so much. Really? You smoke some weed? Yeah, it makes you... You'll eat, you'll eat dog shit if you're fucking stunned enough. You really will. <laughs> I'll eat anything anyway. Anyway, yeah, so that was that was how it all started. Yeah, so basically, stop trying. That was it. And that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't mean don't work hard. It just means stop trying to be. Stop trying. Just be good. Get get good at something. You don't need to try. It's like it's like when you've got a good product and you you don't have to sell it, right? Like when you when you've got a good idea, you don't have to you don't have to sell it. And, one of the best moments in our band was we made that album, that third album, Hi-Fi Serious. And the record company didn't like, they didn't want us to make it. They wanted to drop us. And we, we went in and we renegotiated. We, they'd been bought by Warners at the time. So we got these big, heavy-duty Warners honchos. We were just clearing the decks. And we went in and like, look, we've done a lot of work in the last four years. And we think we're ready to go. We think the zeitgeist is right for a band like us. You can see it in culture and on the radio and stuff. Yeah. Um, we've got some good songs here. We need to make a third album. And they're like, no way. You know, you owe us X amount of money already. So we said, look, we'll rip our contracts up and just tear it up. Because I wouldn't sign us for the third album if I was you. It's too much money. We don't deserve it. So let's rip it up and start again. And we'll make this album cheap. And we won't have any wages. We'll live on credit cards on a major record label. They were like, really? <laughs> And we said, yeah, so we did. Fucking hell. We recorded two songs at ICP in Belgium, and then they liked them, and then they paid us to go do the rest of the album. But um, So we did the rest of the album, and I, they wouldn't even pay me to get a cab home from the studio at six in the morning when we were mixing it. I'd get a night bus home, things like that. And then um, we finished the album, and we went, it was all mastered, and then we went to play it to John Reed, who was the MD of Warners at the time, and sat in his office, and it was back in the days of CDs and Tank our manager put the CD in and John who's a nice guy I think he runs Live Nation now in the UK but intimidating but, but nice it doesn't, doesn't mince his words and I, I like people like that and um, not John Dunn no John Reed. okay so he said to Tank our manager what track should I play and I never forget Tank just went play whatever you want and he's like, wait, but what's a single? And Tank went, I don't know, pick one. And I just remember thinking, oh, first time in my life, which is so good to not give a shit. Yeah. I go and pick a song because they're all good. And they really, and it was amazing. And he, I think the first one he played was nothing. And he's like, oh, we'll get this. And he got A-listed at Radio 1 and then we did Top of the Pops. And it was all, yeah, it was like, fuck, this is it. We press a big major record label button for the first time. And um, and we were off for about eight months, and then and then it all just ground to a halt because third single didn't do very well. And um, yeah, we got to a stage where we should have sold a million records, and we sold like three hundred thousand. So at that point, it's like, yeah, this record really hasn't gone what really what they needed to do. It did well for us, but got us to Brixton Academy, but it didn't get us to Wembley. So oh, that point, Academy is pretty good, though, isn't it? Yeah, but you haven't transcended. You haven't transcended radio. 
But if you're the stereophonics now, you don't need radio or press anymore, right? Uh, yeah. Got a base, people that like you, and that's it. But when you're at Brixton level, that hasn't quite happened. You still need to get fans, and you still need to grow somehow, especially when you've had a hit or a couple of hits like we have. So we got to Brixton level, it's amazing. You know, I want to be in the arenas now on the next record. So we went and made what we thought would be an arena record, but we came back and the world went all indie indie again and it like I say it was yeah. indie pop and stuff and we just we just so like happened. old men yeah like Nickelback or something so it's hard being in a band to I find this all really fascinating because I think like you know like I was saying like me and Stu were desperately trying to make it like for 10 years and you know and like you you basically doing what we always dreamed of doing um, and and there was always this bit in the back of my head that was saying, you won't be happy. You know, like, you, you'll go and do that, but eventually it will turn into work. Yeah. And then and then you won't be happy. There was always this bit in me, you know, and it still is. You know, like, I think, like, Dave Grohl doesn't, can't be right up for every gig he plays. Mate, of course he's not. There's nights when he's like, oh, fucking hell. Like, oh, mate, it's, it's, it, it, of course you're not. And, you, and in the middle of it, like, and I, I can hand on heart say that my, my one main thing about our band that, I, that I'm so glad about is that we were really down to earth in our band. So people liked us and we really enjoyed being in a band. Like we used to call ourselves the SAS of touring because like we approached touring like this is going to be our last tour. Like, we, like I didn't sit on the bus smoking weed. I, I was up at six in the morning walking around Berlin in the fog going, I feel like I'm in a U2 video or a Visage video or something. And, you know, and, and we plan our day off. So in between the Vans Walk tour in Lisbon and Barcelona, we, we'd have a tour bus on the beach. And like, I remember like being in the sea in Barcelona, in Lisbon somewhere. And looking back at the beach with our big gleaming double-decker tall bus on it, going, how oh, is this even happening? And coming into the bus, you know, from the beach with the sand on my feet into our bus. And we were like on the best holiday ever and going to Japan with the streets and just looking at, around the plane with Mike and, and those boys from the streets and going, about to play with Guns N' Roses in Japan and, and just enjoying every single second of it. Loved it. But, the, but it's just fraught with disappointment. And, it's one step forward, ten steps back every day. And it must be like that for Green Day. Like, it's not good news all the time. Yeah. You know, Green Day will be like, why are we not playing this on K-Rock now? And someone's got to explain to them that K-Rock's changed and they're not a K-Rock band anymore. And Billy Joel will be like, yeah, but I'm worth 80 million quid. And I've written one, but it's just, it's just, it's never enough because that's what business is like. And it's never enough for business. And it's just, so it's not pragmatic about it. And you know that, and also, I just felt like everyone says that the music business is full of nobeds. I must have met five nobeds in my whole life. I go try and buy a house. Do you know what I mean? Go, go buy a car. Go to a car showroom and buy a car. Then you'll find out what a nobed is. Yeah. Or go buy a house and deal with solicitors. Or get a divorce and deal with a solicitor. Then you find out what, what a nobed is. And I think the music business is full of people that love music. And like being friendly with people, and some of them are on backside, but you know, it's easy ways to make money, and I think it's just been brilliant. Everything about it is amazing. But if you're expecting it all to go well for you, then you're in for a shock. But 
but you do feel insecure all the time. You've got constant imposter syndrome. You know, you can walk on stage and 20,000 people are giving you the finger and you've got to deal with that. But then you, then you leave and they're all jumping up and down and cheering and you think, yeah, we, we, we turn that around tonight. Then you've got to deal with being away and you've got to deal with relationships with your wife and your kids and just those three-hour phone calls where you're just staring at the phone and no one's talking and she's crying and then you've got to deal with your voice going and the insecurity of having no voice and knowing you've got a gig tonight that you can't cancel because someone have to go home but you can't even talk and you just yeah, I was thinking and you just feel that the last thing you want to do is do a gig and then you go on stage and it turns out it's really good. Yeah, if you've got a family, like, you know, like, you see, you know, like, big bands, you see, like, Dave Grohl playing and this kid comes on stage, and you think that's, a, like, that's just a snapshot. Yeah. For the bulk of the time, he's going to be away from his wife and family. Yeah. And I know, like, even if I go for a night out, I feel guilty. You know, like if I go out for a night, I feel guilty and I'll text my wife and I feel a bit of shit because it's like, I know she's got her hands full. So yeah, like that. For me in life, and it's been one of the problems I've had with, with my wife, I think, without being too personal, you know, we're um, separated at the moment. For me and for her, having a job that, that you enjoy is, is really hard. So when you've been away, for, no, she's, she's like, if you send me one more picture of you lot having a free day off in Disneyland, yeah. or if I see on Instagram, you in another posh studio having an amazing meal, and I'm like, yeah, but Holly, it's not, you know, it's not like that all the time, but it's just like, but you're right, yeah. I mean, imagine how that feels. You're sat at home dealing with everything, and you know, you haven't put the bins out, and all the, you know, the, the foxes have been in the bins again. His nap is halfway down the street. And then my Instagram pops up with another picture of a palm tree. Yeah. Um, so the guilt of that, of having, a, you know, if you're away, if you're away under a coal mine or in the navy, it'd be different. But when you're away doing a job that looks fun and is fun and that you love, even though it's really hard and hard work, you know, I don't stop working, and that's another problem. Yeah, you are essentially still working. And I was just say like, I, I am actually working really hard. Yeah, I never stopped. It's like I'm having the time of my life. People jobs. So I'll be like saying to the band, we need to go out for a meal. But I'm working that meal. I'm trying to get them to talk about music or solve a problem in the studio by taking them out of the studio. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just a, it's just a people job that's producing. So, um, but yeah, it's the guilt of having a job that you like, let alone, you know, I don't know what it's like. Well, I guess... If you're the sort of bloke who would be away from your family and go to strip clubs every night, then you obviously don't have that guilt anyway because you're not, you're not that inclined to, to feel that guilty. But I feel guilty about everything. I think I'm, um, think I'm a pleaser. Or think have you I think always I'm... been that way, though? Have you always felt like that? Because it was when you said um, about when you got the record deal, you felt anxious yeah. Like rather than this elation. I oh, know I was elated, but but you're also like, wow, you're a little fish in a massive pond now. It's just scary. It's like when you first walk into Wembley to do a gig. It's like, whoa, part of you is excited. You've all it's all you've ever wanted, but like gotta play, gotta do well tonight, gotta be good. Yeah. So it's a job. You walk on stage at Reading Festival and you're like, all the label are here and, and MTV are here and Slide and Radio One and you know. And the meat haters and they're reviewing it and 
it's just all these little bugs. You've got to, like, it's just a job like any job. You've got to be good at your job. And then that night you'll lie in the tour bus and on the way to another gig and you'll be like, ah, that was a good day. And the next day it starts again and you've like, right, got to be good today and I put a shift in and work hard. And because if I'm away from my family, so it's a holly, can be damn sure when I'm away from you, I'm working as hard as I possibly can. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on stage drunk. I'm not taking drugs. I'm not, not fucking about. I'm, I'm here to make, a, make, try and make us some money and, you know, make a living out of this and trying to do, do well. Uh, um, that is my problem is that I'm really ambitious and I'm 50 now and all, all the things I wanted to do, I haven't achieved and I still want to achieve them and it's driving me mad. I can't, can't be happy with just sitting still. I don't know why it is. I don't know why it's ego, whether I want people to say, well done, which it probably is because that's why I was a singer in a band. I don't know whether it's, but it's not. It's because I want to, I want to do cool shit and meet people. And it's not about being rich. I don't really care about money. It would be nice to not worry about money, but I don't care about it. I want to inspire my kids and, and me and my brother, three brothers, but me and my, one of my, one of my brothers is, is in the band as well, three of them. Yeah. The other one works for um, Marriott. He's got a good job. And, you know, he's, he's not as driven as me and I, my twin brother are. But, you know, six o'clock in the morning tomorrow, we'll be on Zoom again trying to do this big, audacious thing. And, like, we said to each other the other day, why are we doing this? Like, Mark, our guitarist, is perfectly happy. He doesn't do all this stuff. It just drives us mad. We drive each other mad and we drive everyone else mad. And, and, and sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't go the way you thought it would or it goes another way, but you meet great people along the way and great relationships and learn stuff. And I love it, but I'm really ambitious and it just... Where do you think that comes from, though? Like, is your, <coughs> that kind of drive... It's funny, because, like, drive kind of... I've had mental health problems since I was, like, a kid. And... um Drive is very uh, like I'm like I'm really driven at the moment, but I've always struggled with drive. You know, like that where it comes from, and I know why I don't have drive because like my dad didn't have any drive. You know, I, I can kind of see where it comes from, and like um, and that's why I've always admired Stuart, for example, because he's got a fucking drive times ten. Yeah, and. Um, have you ever really thought about like where that kind of comes from, that need and that that want? Um, I think it comes from being fascinated by stuff. Hopefully, I don't think it comes out of an ego thing. I like to be centre of attention. I know that much. I like talking, as you can imagine, as you can gather. And I like having ideas and I like making those ideas happen. And I like galvanising people around me to make it happen. Yeah. And I just mean I'm just good at coming up with ideas and getting things going. Um, but we always want to do loads of stuff. You know, we were developing a TV show last week, and then the week before, he wants to build a hotel in Cornwall and get. And, and I'm not exaggerating. This, and none of it's going to happen. But and it just used to drive my wife mad. It's just like when he said you're going to open that shop in Shoreditch. Why didn't you? And like. But just something I thought we were going to do that day and then something else happened. And she's like, well, but I thought you meant you were going to do that. I was like, yeah, I tried, but then this other thing that we got good at happened and that overtook. And we just like that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's the right way to be fulfilled. But um, because 
he does upset me. Like I go to bed tonight and I think, I've, you know, what have I achieved this week? Have I done? Have we got any closer to what we what we want to do? And just, but I can't change. It. I don't know, but it doesn't make you happier. I don't think. Just really, I'm just one of those like kids. Really, I'm just like a, I'm like a child. Do you reckon it's um, it's something about like that you and your brother bounce? Like yeah. you kind of feed each other up. Yeah. And very competitive. And but also if you know if you go out and you get drunk and you're both drunk and then one one person gets really drunk yeah. or falls, falls off the curb and twists his ankle and the other one sobers up. It's like that having a twin brother. You, you kind of dovetail all the time. Yeah. Got this constant support mechanism for any idea. I need his validation for everything. If I have an idea. First person will tell his Adam, and if he likes it, I'm stoked. I feel great inside. Um, so it's weird. It's a weird relationship. It must, it must have been very hard for my wife to be married to somebody who's, who works with his twin and lives near his twin, so that there's no turning off from my family at all. Oh, do you live together? No, but we live near. He lives in Chalkwire in Lee. Oh, okay. you know, I think when we went on honeymoon, my honeymoon. Like in 2000, that was the longest time I probably had away from Adam in years, two weeks. And by the 10th day, she's like, I'm going to call Adam, don't you? I'm like, yeah. I want to call Mark and Giles as well, and Dan, but you just, yeah, it was, you know, I didn't ask to be a twin. It is great, but we're just, and if he was on the end now, it'd be a nightmare. We'd just be talking over each other and you'd be like, this is a disaster. These pricks, you'd hate us. Because she's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fascinating. Like, um, it, like, like the kind of last band me and Stu did together, we had uh, twins in the band. Right. And, um, and they were, like, they weren't massively driven, but they used to, like, they had their own thing going on. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, they used to, they were proper, like, codependent and... Um, you know, it was always like they were fighting all the time, but they would have the most awful punch ups, and it'd be like, you know, I just couldn't fucking understand it. But it's it, yeah, it, it's not a regular occurrence, is it? Being you know, a twin, we used to argue all the time in the band. You drive Mark and Dan bonkers, but they'd laugh about it, and it doesn't mean anything. The next day, it's like fine. Yeah, yeah, they were like that. They were exactly the same. It's weird because it's like a blessing and a curse then. It's like a bit of both, isn't it? It's yeah. like you, you want someone to back you up, you know, like it's like having a best mate with you all the time. You know, yeah. he goes, yeah, yeah, let's, let's fucking do that. And like you kind of want people like that around you. And it's also someone to tell you off and keep you in check. Yeah. You're so close. So they just tell you, like, you can never get big for your boots. Yeah. Which held our band back as well. Because I think if you're in a rock band, you certainly need to be... Sometimes good to have a bit of Billy Corgan arrogance or be bigger than you. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you I really down to uh, lyrics, and we were like this nice band A, and and maybe people took, maybe we didn't seem as big as some other bands because of that, or maybe we we're just insecure and just. I'm really insecure. Right? I'm yeah. incredibly insecure. I just want everyone to like me. So I'm the sort of bloke who's if you're in my tour bus in the bunk. And I've got my curtains closed and someone else got us in the bus. <clears throat> I'll do a little cough like that. 
because I don't, in case they're slagging me off to someone and I, I want to know that I'm there. So yeah. I don't know anybody talking about me because that, and like some people wouldn't care. If, if, and I've got nothing for them to slag me off for, but I just, I'd be thinking, you know, I go to bed thinking I've talked too much or I've been an idiot or whatever. It's like anybody who's insecure does, or you're just kind of killing yourself, going to sleep, or you listen to all the stuff you've done wrong all day. Well, and then you talk about it, and people are like, what? But I'm, I'm that person as well. Uh, you know what, though? You know what, though? I, from my point of view, for you t- to say that, like, I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah, but I'm doing it now, right, Nick? I- I've interrupted you. I just did it then. I can't wait to speak. And I'll go to bed tonight, and I'll be like, I ruined that guy's podcast because all I did was talk, and then I talked about me, 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 and then I interrupted him, and he must think I'm a dick. So I'll, and I'm thinking that now when I'm talking to you. No, you've won <laughs> me over. Jason, you won me over straight away. And the fact that you're just... Oh, like, you're you're like that. I just have mentioned some other band. Hey? Easy. I only got some mention for Faith more. It was an easy win. No, 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 no. When you started being really open and being quite honest about things, and um, and then just then when you said about being insecure, um, like you just totally earned my respect because for men to be open and honest about that is quite rare, um, and especially someone um, who like you know you've achieved a lot of things and then to be able to say like you know you're insecure then um like i think that's rare people don't say shit like that they don't mm-hmm. people aren't that honest man they're, they're just not um and like that's i believe in that yeah, i believe I we should be honest and we should talk about these things yeah. and you just did it so you've just you you can't do any wrong now I tell you what I found. I find the more you talk about stuff, it doesn't ever make it worse. No, no, it don't. Let's put it that way. Especially if you're talking. Oh, I'm just going to get my power supply for my laptop. Nick, it's about to run out. Okay. Sorry, yeah. mate. Don't. No. My kids found out the other day that the um, the power supply for these new Macs is the same as the power supply for their Nintendo Switch. That's when it went wrong, and they just keep nicking my power supply. Uh, my um, it's my son's birthday next week. How old is he? He's got. Uh, he'll be nine. He's got um, autism. Right. And, um, uh, his autism basically means he gets obsessed with things. Uh, and then the idea, like, he's just been so obsessed with getting a switch. And uh, about three weeks ago, you could not get a switch anywhere. Yeah. And I ended up paying. Like nearly four hundred pound for one, yeah. Because it couldn't come to his birthday and him not have a switch. Oh, bless you, mate. That's amazing. Oh, that's so lovely. Like, yeah, if he didn't get a switch, he would be in pieces because he he watches stuff on YouTube. He watches people playing on switches, yeah. and like he's just absolutely obsessed. That's all my 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 nine year old is the same. Just watches YouTube all day watching. And you've got a nine year old as well. Yeah, 16, 15, 9 and 5, my 4. But it's a great age. I think it's a lovely age because he's just... He started asking me some sexy questions as well. And he's... 
he's just starting to start. And he asked me about um, what's going on in America and, and the policeman um, and today. And he, he can't work it out. And, and obviously, not can I. But yeah, there's something really naive about them once they get to like 12, 13, and then 14, you know everything. Oh, really my my yeah. son's uh, like is he, he he's he hasn't really changed much since he was like four or five. Really, uh, he's still much the same. Yeah, but he's still like really really young and yeah, really really vulnerable. Really okay, yeah. um, like when I think about him, I, I I can get a bit upset about it sometimes because uh, you know, like he's like my daughter. She's like nearly twelve, and she's obviously completely different. And I'm yeah. like, and I feel like I've just started having to really fucking fight with schools and that kind of thing to make sure his needs are met. It'll get, um, yeah, I, I try not to think too much because it gets quite upsetting. Because he's yeah, he's completely different. He's absolutely lovely. You know, like he, he spends his whole time telling you he loves you and wanting to have a hug. You know, like constantly. Um, and you know, like, how can anyone ever be mean? But you know, like, kids are mean to him, but he doesn't even realise it half the time, which is kind mean, of cool. kids are mean to him. Yeah, sometimes like he hasn't got any friends or anything. Oh, like, when he plays, um, like he plays on his own, like at school, and that. it's quite upsetting, really. But I try um, when he when he gets a switch, will he will he play Fortnite on it? No, he wants to like play like Mario and that oh, kind of thing. Mario, you, know, you could play with my kid, with my nine-year-old, play Mario Kart and stuff. And oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, because yeah, that's the best thing about that. The avatar can I know it's a bit fake, but least least then you. I love the fact that it's kind of democratized online. That you can play with people. Obviously, pedos on there and idiots and assholes, but. A lot of lovely kids online playing on Nintendo. Yeah. And you don't know what they look like or where they're from or what they do or they just beat you at Mario Kart and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, he wants to play Mario Kart. Um and he's got this he he wants to um he wants like we do um like stop motion animation sometimes because really? he's got into it and I got him to do like the title for like some, like I put out videos sometimes and I got him to do like the title video with me and that kind of thing. Wow, that's amazing. Just to try and get him into something, you know, yeah. like something that we could do together. Um, but, you know, like to go, look, you can do things, you know, like mm-hmm. it doesn't hold you back, you can do things. It, like he's got a good imagination in that. So I think this weekend we're going to get like uh, an animation app and try and do animations together. Oh, that'd be wicked. It's just like, yeah, because he ain't got, like, my daughter, is, like, she's fucked off at the moment because she can't talk to her friends. Yeah. And then my son was like, oh, I, like, they're going to school because I'm a key worker. And my son's like, oh, I made a friend. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. Freedom done. Kids are killer. Killer. Yeah. So... Yeah. What um so you do like production now then? So you, I know you did uh, loads of McFly yeah. stuff. Yeah, I'm doing a McFly record at the moment. It's brilliant. They seem like good guys to me. Oh, they're lovely. Never had mental health issues. Um, yeah, I mean, even Danny in the last Dougie really has. You know, Dougie's been Dougie's one of my best friends in the world, and he's had his 
fair share of problems. Tom, you know, Tom, you look at Tom from the fly, he's a man who's got everything. You know, he's, I think he's like the third most successful author in the UK, like children's books. And, um, you know, massive house and lovely kids and wife. and his, But he really has struggled in the past. And yeah, they, they all have. But we all, it's weird because we all talk about it. Like a year ago, I, I couldn't even get out of bed. I was in a real bad place this time last year. Not every day. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? You don't know when it's going to happen. And um, and they've all been there. But, you know, you, you know, these are pop stars who've got everything and good looks and not ashamed of the body. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very true. Not, depression doesn't care who you are, what you've got, does it? Um, no, no. Who you are and what you've got makes it worse. So, um, yeah. make it worse um, sometimes. You're so guilty about being depressed and you don't understand it and... When it hit when it hit me, it just hit. Me. I was just like the enemy said, described me once as rock music version of a golden retriever with its head outside a car window, just just like the happiest dog. <laughs> Fresh air, it's amazing, and that's what I was like. And then bang, I just got hit over the head with loads of real life things went wrong at once, which you've got no control over. Yeah. And then I thought I was dealing with stuff, and then that, that just hit me in the in in the face. And it starts with little things. It starts with ignoring emails. I'm lucky now. I've got brown envelopes that I haven't opened, letters I haven't opened. I'll put it off till tomorrow. I don't see it. I don't go to the cash machine because I don't want to look at my bank balance. So I'll type my pin number in like that, so I can't see it. Yeah. I'm scared of dealing with it, even though once you deal with it, you feel fine, even you know for good or for bad. Just just things like that and then it starts creeping up on you and then then you, then I'm scared to get in the bath because I think too much in the bath so I'll just get showers and then I get a bath and I can't get out of it and um, yeah this time last year I was amazed horrendous and then you know your mates texting you saying let's go out for a beer and it's the last thing you want even though it's exactly what you need but you don't want to and you just turn into a shitty friend and you feel bad because you've not all your mates are texting you, you're not texting them, and it's like, yeah. what? Yeah. I've done, I've done all of that. It helped, like, you're getting it snowballs, you like, before you know it, you're like, man, I, I went to doctors and called my name and went into open the doctor's door, you know, at Palmouth Surgery, and um, opened the door and just burst into tears, and like, I didn't even say anything. I just saw a doctor and started crying. He's like, give me a Samaritan's leaf with <laughs> And said, um, you need to take that home and um, you've got to sort this out. And I was like, I was in such a state. I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. I just, I've just seen somebody that I know cares for me. I know that you were a stranger. It just made me cry. And um, I was crying loads. But yeah, it's, and it's weird. And you'll see people and you'll be like, mate, how's it going? Yeah, and I'll be fine. Absolutely fine. And then I come back to this flat and, and I'd, I'd be like, fuck up. And then, and then I'd start crying. And then I feel great after I've cried. <laughs> and then he'd like, I used to do that. I used to cry all the time. Uh, I'm on loads of medication now, and I, I can't cry if I want to cry. But I, I did have a period where um, like I'd just be at, like I was a chef, and I'd just be standing there cutting things up and crying and crying uncontrollably. Spent most of my time crying. 
And um, and it like just like fucking what's going on? But mm-hmm. I kind of knew I wasn't well at that point. So so what so what's what's happened since then? Well, I mean, we we were going back about five years, six years. We had a, we had some personal stuff, but awful stuff. And I think I got depression then because I think I lost. I didn't know what it was, but I lost. I, I remember being in London, walking down an escalator at Fenture Street, and someone just kind of brushed their arm, my arm when they walked past me, and I just started crying because someone had bumped into me, and I would just I just felt too weak to be in London. But everybody seemed to be walking really fast. And it got no, it was noisier than normal. And I just felt like this insecure little kid. And and I just lost all my confidence. And I was really confident. And I had this really good job. I was working at Microsoft and said of music. And I just couldn't go in. I'd make excuses not to go in. I'd go sit in Hoxton Hotel and, and just watch blooming, I don't know, breaking bad on my laptop all day and pretend I'm in meetings and just not dealing with stuff and then um and and yeah I ended up that job petered out not not because it's my fault but it's petered out so you, you kind of you know you're in a job and you've lost a job and then you know I'm always being self-employed so I'm always worried about work and then you know the phone doesn't ring because you're a producer so you you know when you're busy the phone never stops and then when you're not busy it's like it's never going to ring again and you're never going to work again, and you're terrible, and your last record's awful, and it didn't do well. Um, everyone blames you for it, even though it's not your fault, and all these things are going from your head, and so you get insecure about that, and then when you're in the studio with a band, you've got to be the confident one, and then you come home and you think, well, that was all just complete sham. I don't know what I'm talking about. And you're talking to a band who are way more successful than you, and you're telling them what's wrong with their songs, and they're buying it, and you're coming home going, fuck, what do I know? And then dawn on me one day, I don't know anything, and that's that's why I'm good at it. But up, up until that point, it's like you feel like you need to know more about music than anyone else, and you don't. Um, well, that's depression, uh, though, man. That's depression. Depression, <laughs> mate. Um, like that's that is fucking depression makes you um, think you're no good. Yeah. And I like, and it's not true. It's a lie. Yeah, but then you become no good. Then I couldn't even make a cup of tea. Yeah. I stood outside one day in bed. I got, I got off the bed and I sat put my feet on the floor to get up. And then, and then I remember it was 12 o'clock and I hadn't moved. And I couldn't decide whether to go and make a cup of tea or to go turn the TV on. And these two things were just so big. Mm. And, I, and I was getting myself in such a state. And I was like, Jason, just go make a cup of tea. And I was getting headaches because I've not had any caffeine. And, and I like to get up and get on with it. And I was like, why am I not? And then he sent up in this cycle. I'm like, fuck, I'm off back to the bed. Just crawl back into bed and eat some chocolate. Hope, hope tomorrow comes and you're feeling all right the next day. And then yeah. it's fucking same. And I'm just glad I'm not drinking because I, I just want to go. And then you get the slightest bad news or a little text from, from your wife. And it says one little thing that you can't deal with and it just sends you back to the bed. So I have to put my phone upside down so I can't see it. Where are you at now? I'm so weak. And then he's like, why am I feeling weak? Why am I strong? Why aren't I, I being more of an asshole? Why, why aren't I being... All my friends are telling me I need to do this, 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 and you make sure you do this. And you and I'm like, ah, I, I can't. I can't even make a cup of tea. Like at that point, you're not well. 
Yeah. You know, like if you'd have, um, you know, everyone always says to me, when they try, when I talk to people and they try and um, understand my depression, that they often say like, well, if you, if you had a broken leg, we'd accept that you couldn't do anything for a while. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, all right, you're getting in the ballpark there. You know, like, if you had a broken leg, you'd have to stay in bed all day. Um, but when you're depressed, like, you're not well. Like, mm. I, I kind of just accept now that, like, I have points when I'm not well, and that means that I can't do anything. And then I don't give myself shit about it. You know, like, it's like, well, I can't do anything about that. I'm unwell. I've got this condition. I can't do anything much about it. And then when I feel a bit better, I'm a bit more able to do things. I think that's helped, that helped me last year where, I don't know who it was, said you need to kind of give yourself a break or have a holiday from yourself. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to go on holiday. You just need to have a holiday from yourself and stop beating yourself up about every yeah, little thing. Yeah, yeah. yourself. And, and I did. I just I just got into watching Ozark or something and enjoyed it. Like I'm going to enjoy the downtime. It's like the same with the lockdown, and um, and that really helped. But what really helped was getting sertraline. I mean, just, yeah, I've had sertraline. So you on sertraline now? Yeah, I mean, it's things about without being too personal about it. You said about crying. You know, this this sexual things that you just can't do with such. Oh, I can't. I mean, you. You just lose all your, you lose all your mojo completely. Your libido, your libido <laughs> definitely crashes. Um, you're not even interested. Like, you think, what's happening to me? <laughs> like, I know, and that's not, and that's not good for your psyche either, is no. it? Because then you like, you feel a bit useless. Yeah, I've had these conversations with my wife, and I'm like, you know, it's not that I don't fancy you. It's yeah. just I'm on fucking tons and tons of fucking, uh, you know, pharmaceutical grade drugs that uh, yeah. sap my my up for it. And then the other thing is, though, you don't get like uh, when you have antidepressants, um, like you might feel like it, but your cock don't really want to know. Like <laughs> it's kind of gets a bit there. <laughs> no, that's as good as you get. Well, I spoke to someone the other day, a friend of mine who I didn't know had been going through this, and he's got some issues with addiction, um, like sexual addiction and pornography addiction. Mm. And he had to come off sertraline because he couldn't climax. So he just he'd be spending eight hours a day just watching porn, and he couldn't do anything about it. And you know, the second you climax, you feel disgusting and, and guilty, and then you. You know, you you shit your computer down and get back on with your life. It's almost like you needed to do, but he could never do that. It's like, so it made it worse for me because I could never start work because I could never finish the job at hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had inverted covers, and he and he couldn't. And, he, and I can't believe how it can have that much of a profound physical effect on you, but it really does. I mean, it it, just, it you know the way it numbs your feelings. Yeah. It numbs your, uh, like, it numbs, so you don't feel really happy. Yeah. And you don't feel really sad. It just kind of middles you out. Like, yeah, anti antidepressant, I've been on, I've had every antidepressant, believe. And they all pretty much do the same. They middle you out. So mm -hmm. you don't really have joy, but you don't have crushing lows, which are the things you don't want. 
Yeah. But in the same way, like that applies to, you know, like drive, sexual drive as well. Kind yeah. of like middles you out on that as well. The one thing it hasn't, well, I don't know if it's not a, you know, we talked about euphoria earlier, like yeah. coming down the mountain feeling that euphoric thing. I haven't felt like that on this ever. So you're right, that top end, I haven't got, and I haven't had the crushing lows. But when my little daughter comes up to me and gives me a hug on my son, or I hold their hand, I still get that feeling where I could just burst into tears. So I get that emotion. I haven't lost that emotional beauty and connection of just like, this is just everything. I think that's been my favourite thing about all the bad things that have happened to me, is that I've downsized from this five-bedroom house in Leon C to living in a flat above a pub. And it, it killed me at first. And I felt guilty and my self-esteem had gone and I felt guilty about everything. I still do. And, um, but, but now I've downsized everything and I don't need, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. And that's been amazing. I've had this real clear, but I really have. And it's such a cliche. And I'm not just saying this to sound like a, you know, it is a cliche, but I really have appreciate, I do appreciate holding my little girl's hand. I, I wanted to do the school every day, walk them to school. And every little thing about my kids, I appreciate more now. And I, and I guess, like every parent, I took that for granted. So you appreciate the little things. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Like, uh, a couple of years ago, before, uh, the kind of the impetus of doing the podcast was that I, like, around two years ago, I had a proper fucking meltdown. And like, I didn't go to work for like, six months and then that's did you get were you kind of struck off work then with a doctor's note and you were like I'm ill I'm at home yeah yeah basically but it was a bit of a battle like they wouldn't like I had to go back every two weeks and they would be like well well, we're not going to give you another one we're not going to give you another one but essentially I was yeah struck off I was signed off for work and um, and in, in many ways the the biggest the most special, like what saved me in that bit, although like I started having therapy twice a week, changed medication, you know, had a psychiatrist properly fucking committed to sorting it out. You know, like, I really was like, I cannot, this cannot go on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was at home. So I'd pick my kids up every day. I'd take them to school every day. And my relationship with my children in many ways saved me. Yeah. Because I suddenly, um, like, that's all I had to think about. Yeah. You know, like, everything else didn't really matter. The only job I had that day was, like, keep, like, making sure the house was all right. Yeah. And dealing with my kids. And I suddenly started to take joy in it. You know, like, when my kids were born, I didn't have this overwhelming feeling of, which... I thought everyone had, I didn't have any of that. But then that kind of looking after them, um, I just connected with them and it changed yeah. everything for me. Yeah, I get I get that completely. Just enjoy, enjoying the job of being a dad. Yeah. The highs and lows. And even when you're out, I mean, when you suddenly don't have your kids, which is the way I found, where I found myself, one day I'm at home and I'm married, next day I'm in, I'm in a flat with no furniture and no children. And walking around IKEA in tears, trying to find something to sit on, oh, and um, and your kids have gone, and it, it's just like they're not here now, right? So I just dropped them off before 
um, I had a Zoom meeting and then and they're new. Yeah. And just knowing that they're not next door yeah. is awful. Like you're here on your own. It's not even hanging out. It's not even like playing football with them or something. It's just the little things of knowing that they're there and, and washing up and making their sandwiches and doing their washing and like just doing stuff for people, and especially for your kids who have got no choice because you have to do It's just great. And it's also mindful, isn't it? You're busy. Like when they're here at weekends, I'm so busy. I'm making yeah, their sandwiches. Yeah. I'm busy, busy, busy on little jobs and all these big aspirations I've got go out the window that seem pathetic because I've got to get Primrose is crying because she's got orange juice, not apple juice. Yeah, but, you're dealing with what's in your hands. And you it often you know, snaps and it's the end of the world. Yeah, you forget about like you forget just to deal like just to enjoy what's there yeah. at that time. It's no, they're, they're, they're the perfect mindfulness tool, kids. Yeah, it's true. That it's and gardening and, and being yeah, I love that. I love being out of my mind. I love gardening. And I like washing up and I love cooking and washing up and cleaning. Anything that just makes you just do little jobs that you don't have to think about. Yeah. A little pleasure in it. And yeah, it's, the kids are like that. The little, the littlest things. They're, they're amazing. They're such a gift. And yeah, we're so lucky to have them. It can be blood me nightmare though, but yeah. It's a lot of kids. Yeah, it's a lot of kids. Sounds like, but it. Like in kind of mental health terms, though, if you think about it, um, like, like mental health tends to take a dip at times of trauma, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you've had your fair share of trauma. Oh yeah, we, we had we had two years of yeah, well yeah, awful. So like it might not be, you know, like on the grand scheme of trauma, when you talk to people and they're like, well, you know, like like. You know, murders and things like that, but trauma's yeah. fucking real. Yeah, trauma's real, and trauma like it changes you. Yeah, it makes you different, and it and it's really fucking hard to deal with. Especially when you're not prepared for it, when it's trauma that you never thought. Well, I guess all trauma is, but no one teaches you how to deal with trauma. Like no one teaches you how to be a parent. I remember no. bringing Zach home for the first day with Holly when we first had Zach, and thinking if we can keep him alive. Just for one night, we'll be the world's best parents. And then, and then this trauma happens, and, it's, and all anyone can do is say, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay." I'm yeah, crying. I've got to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, when my um, daughter was born. Uh, like, I went to. Uh, I remember, like, they sent me home, and I came back. Like early doors, like eight o'clock, and my wife was like writhing around on on the bed, and I'm thinking, wow, she's in labour. And then, uh, and then a, a doctor came in and inspected her downstairs, and then she came back, and her hands were covered in blood. And she went right uh, theatre now, and they wouldn't let me into the theatre, and. Um, and then after about 40 minutes, they bought me my daughter. And I was like, okay, I've got a baby. Is my wife all right? And they were like, well, yeah, we can't tell them. And then for 45 minutes, I was holding my daughter, who was screaming, um, and I didn't have any of the stuff that you meant to have because it was yeah. so quick. I was crying my fucking eyes out. And then... Um, 
after 45 minutes, they brought my wife out. And, I, uh, you know, in that 45 minutes, I'm like, I... Just Everything's good my for your brain. Everything. Yeah. And then uh, it was funny because it wasn't long after that <laughs> that I I started getting really ill again. You know, I've had mental health problems since forever, but um, it was soon after my daughter's birth that like, I had fucking, you know, I've had 10, 11 difficult years. And I think it's that. Mate, that's massive trauma. God. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't think I even realised it at the time. Helpless, like you're just in the middle of some forest with no one to help you, you and this child. You're abandoned. <laughs> yeah, I think I've only just really realised that, though, Jace. I think I, I genuinely really have only just realised. You feel like a helpless child yourself, like there's no one there to give you any answers. And yeah. That's how I feel sometimes, like I'm a helpless child and I'm 50 and I don't know anything. I'm like, what? don't know anything. I need someone to help me. I'm, t- I'm useless. And like, you're obviously not, but you're just like, I, I, one day I think, when am I going to start knowing stuff? And then, you have this feeling where, like, um, can't quite explain it, but sometimes, uh, how can I explain it? Like, so you open a cupboard and there's like some cups and saucers in there. Mm. And you kind of think they're going to be temporary because you're going to get some better ones soon yeah. or whatever. And then one day you realise, this is it. <laughs> I'm in it. <laughs> and I've realised that recently, like, this is it. I'm, I'm in it. This isn't this. I'm not on yeah. this journey where I'm going to get this swimming pool at the end of it. Yeah. This is it. And um, I better start trying to grab all of it because it's, go, it's going so quick between being 40 and 50. I'm really, I'm, I think I'm quite vain as well and um, and I catch myself in the mirror and I put loads of weight on it I look awful and I just got this real awful body image of myself which is valid because I've got an awful body but I know people who are way bigger than me yeah. and, and, they spend way, and they're perfectly fine with their bodies and they'll take the top off and they'll be like Way! and I'm not I'm so insecure about the way I look and everything and I was like why 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 am I kind of why am I so vain that I can't hang that up why can't I just accept that I look the way I look and I don't know why that is and, and you know what though mate you know what what you just said nailed it what like and I know a lot about this shit what you just said absolutely nailed it it's the acceptance that this is it. That's it, yeah, yeah. Rather than it could be or it should have been, you go, this is it. And that is where I'm kind of there now. You know, I still still do exactly what you said. I do the body image thing, but, like, it's got much easier. You know, I go on the beach and I'm like, Going on doing the kids, and I'm like, I'll take my top off. And I think, fuck it. I don't care anymore. Like, I've yeah, done. My kids are calling me chubby today, and I'm like laughing, and, but I'm like, oh, I wish I wouldn't do that. But it's pathetic. I need to man up and just deal with who I am. It's not manning up, though. It's not man, like, man up, it's like, it's not about 
it's not about being like the thing is all the time you say I need to man up, then you're putting pressure on yourself. Yeah, I know you're right, and I hate I hate that expression, but I need to like dad up. My kids don't obsessed with how fat he is. It's accepting how things are. Yeah, it just is how it is, and like how it is is all right. It's all right at this moment in time. It's all right. Yeah. How your son is, is how your son is. Um, how your daughter is, how your daughter is. How my kids are, that's just what they are. Yeah. Um, I, am, I am, but um, yeah, I, I just give myself a hard time all the time. And Holly used to say, you need to love yourself before you can be loved. I'm like, it's easy for you to say that. It's like, all right then, I love myself. I mean, I'm a fucking singer in a band. I mean, what, where do you want to start with self-esteem issues? Why do you think I'm a frontman in a band? Well, I want 20,000 people telling me how good I am every night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just psychiatry 101. But it's, not, it's like, the thing is, it's not, like a lot of this shit's cracking obvious, but it's not easy to do. That, yeah. like, that's the important thing to note, that, it, you know, yeah, it's fucking obvious, but it's, it is obvious for a reason, you know, <laughs> but it's not easy to do. What I've found is that... Um, like I see my depression in terms of addiction that um you know like you've always got to be working on it. So I'm always working on it. So even if you know like I I look in the mirror, I do. Uh I like I don't I used to have this real fucking weird thing about jeans. No, I don't like it, I don't like it. And and so I just don't look in the mirror as much, you know? Um, but I'm always working on it. So I'll look in the mirror and all those negative shit, like those self-image things will come up. But yeah, I'll remind you're, you're cool as fuck. Hey? But you're cool as fuck. Well, you're cool as fuck. Yeah, but you never... You, but you, I'm looking at you going, I wish I looked like him. No, you're you've got a better hairline than me. What does it even matter? You've got long hair. Hey? Yeah, I know, but look. You've got a tash. Look. Look at that. That bothers me every day, man. You've got one bit of vomit. The only I keep is my wrists, and I don't know why. I quite like that bit there. <laughs> That's it. There you go. That's a start, isn't it? What would they lick my wrists to sleep? <laughs> but you know what? Like, um, I've, I, I tell you what, if you're interested, I see I've spent... Uh, best part of two years um, seeing this like uh, a regular therapist, and what he does, and what he told me, and he he changed me the first day I went, when he said that your brain looks for negatives, your brain is trained to look for negatives because you know like when we were cavemen, so you yeah. wouldn't get eaten. Your brain evolved to go, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. And your brain evolves to go, uh, oh, don't think you're too good because you'll only get let down, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he, he kind of said to me that, yeah, your brain does that, but you don't have to listen to it. Yeah. That's why I like being mindful, right? Because you take your brain off. pretty much that, yeah. I'm like gardening, I'm not listening to my brain. I'm, I'm worried about the weeds. Yeah. But your brain's full of shit. But the thing is, your brain's not being a cunt because you, you instantly just think, oh, my brain's a fucking cunt. So you fight it. And then you're going, oh, you're a fucking cunt. I won't listen to you. And then so you fight it and you fight it. And all the time you're fighting it, you're making it worse. Right. So, so what I do is just go, oh, it's all right, brain. Don't worry, I've got this. I know you're looking out for me. You know, like, I don't battle. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. fight depression anymore. And that is where I went wrong. Well, you embrace it and just think it's there to protect me, but it's just overprotective. Yes. Like an immune yeah, system, yeah. Giving, like killing COVID patients. It's not the COVID, it's the immune system. Yes, exactly that. System. I go, all right, mate. And I do, I fucking say it out and I'll be, it's all right. My brain does that because it's trying to protect me. But actually, I'm not a caveman anymore and I don't need it to protect me. I'll just, like, I can make that decision myself. Right. So whenever you think, you know, like those thoughts in your head, like, oh, I look like shit, and I, like, that's just your your brain just going, well, don't, like, don't start thinking you look good now, because, like, you know, later on, you won't look good, and then, then you'll feel bad. So it's just trying to help you out. Mindfulness, there's a big bit about mindfulness, is that you don't, you don't fight the feelings. Yeah, you're them. allowed to come in and then just float away. Yeah, and they do. They do go away, but it takes a lot of fucking practice. You have to do it all the fucking time. But whenever, like, my brain, like, it did it today. I, like, I had to go to work and I felt like shit and, like, my hair's fucking rank and greasy and I feel like a cunt and my brain <laughs> telling me all of those things. And I was like, no, nah, bollocks. No. And my, then my brain's going like, oh, yeah, your granddad was right. You know, like all those things from the past, your granddad was right, you're a fucking loser. And then and then I was like, no, bollocks. I'm not letting him tell me what to do. And then I, I put on some pumpkins, and I was like, pumpkins probably isn't the best thing to listen to, but... <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I'm not having it. I'm not fucking having it. I'm not having a bad day because... Of something someone said to me when I was a child. Yeah. I'm not doing it. And I turn it around. I turn it around and I do that all day, every day. And it's gradually become the normal rather than the, my brain's going, you're a cunt, and me going, yeah, I am, isn't I? And then, you know, if you notice that um, uh, when bad things happen, you're like, yep. Well, that's, that was going to happen, wasn't it? Because I'm a cunt. Of course it was going to happen. Yeah. And I, and well, it, and I, then, I set myself up for failure sometimes. Yeah, life transpired. When I'm, when I'm with some of my alpha male, um, incredibly wealthy friends in business, and good, but good friends, like people that I've met throughout, um, who, are, who are really... Respect not because of their money or anything, because yeah. just great friends. But I see that their mindset is that they they set themselves up to succeed all the time, and and they count failure as and, and I do as well because um, there's another another thing that means like I'm not scared of failing at all, so I don't see failure as a bad thing, and I really don't. I never have. And I can just shrug it off, no matter what happens. And um, it's almost like a badge of honour. Like, I think if I'm not failing, I'm not trying hard enough. Um, and because of that, I, I'm kind of setting myself up for it. And all these little failures end up being a, a success. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes. But you end up getting immune to failure. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm a failure in any way, and but I've not achieved some of the things I wanted to achieve. But the... No, it ain't over yet. I'm, hopefully, I will. 
I've got four kids and I'm still alive. And there's times when, you know, there's times when you think, you know, you wake up and you think, fuck, I wish I was still asleep. You know, we've all had those days without getting too deep about it. Yeah, and that's I'm missing my kids. The only, reason I'm, the only reason that I'm glad I work up is that I have got kids and they need me. So thankfully, thankful for my kids for that. But I've had, I've had some pretty dark days, but I don't know what I'm, what I'm saying now. I'm, I'm about, yeah, this, but some, but yeah, the mindset, the mindset of being equipped that this is going to be, um, yeah, some of my friends haven't got that mindset. Their, their mindset is, I will succeed. How do you feel when you're around them? Oh, they, these are really good friends, though. So they, I don't feel, but they're, they're empowering. They're, they're, they're lovely. I've got, I've got a friend who's from a billionaire's family, and he drives around in a mini, a mini one, like the lowest, like the mini I've got, and you'd never know. And he's the most charming, credible, inspiring person. Speaks six languages, like lights up the room. It's, can have a conversation about anything. Does that make you feel inferior, though? No, he's, he, he, he wouldn't. He, he's so clever and so good, he would never make you feel inferior. He's just one of these amazing people. He's just really inspirational and aspirational. He's amazing. Very few people like that. And if he did make you feel inferior, he'd be devastated because he's, he's classier than that. And his whole family are. They're, they're amazing. And I've got a couple of friends. They're from Brussels. God, I hate him already. <laughs> I, think, I think the world is under Imagine, imagine being like that and being humble at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's just incredible. They're incredible. I mean, not everyone I know is like that. There's two. These are two people. One, one of them runs the biggest recording studio in in Europe, and I speak to him every other day. And he's just amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and they've invested in stuff that we've done, and and you know, never make you feel on purpose like you owe them anything. They're just there to encourage you all the time people like that are great it do make me feel like you know fuck I wish I was them wish I could be but I, know, but I know I've seen their vulnerable side as well and I know that they have they have bad days really bad days yeah because um, that, that's the thing you kind of forget is that um, like when you feel depressed um, see like I feel like I, I'm kind of in recovery in, in many ways I still have two or three bad days a week, but like that's better than a bad year, you know. Yeah. And like even the best of us who never have depression might still have one or two bad days a week. You kind of like have to like I found that like accepting that some days are just a bit shit. Like that kind of helped me. I tell you something though, Jace, is that like there's occurred to me. You know, like when you said right at the beginning of our conversation about um, when you got signed is when you stopped trying. Yeah, we stopped trying. Yeah, before we got signed, yeah, we stopped trying. Stopped trying to impress people. And things became good when you stopped trying so hard. Yeah. And then I get the impression that a bit further along, it's like now you're like you put a lot of pressure on yourself. Yeah, you're right, yeah. And uh, so if you look back, mm-hmm. it came good when you stopped putting the pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. Which makes me think that putting the pressure on yourself now 
if you could get to a point where you weren't putting so much pressure on yourself, you'd probably feel a lot better. Yeah, that's, yeah I think you're right, Nick. No one's ever said that to me before. And I'm the yeah. one who says that's a band day in, day out, and maybe I should practice what I preach. Well, no, that's, that's a bit harsh, but just like just try and think about things a little bit differently, as in, like, when things came good in the past, like, mm. even when you did, like, the bigger album was when, when you cut, you went, fuck it, every record deal, we're going to do this, and then it came good. Yeah, like, and I think, I think that's what I'm trying to get back to, is that um, I, lost, I lost everything about myself, like, through it all in the beginning. And there's lots of things about myself that I really like, and and I like I like being me, and I like my life. And but I stopped being me for a while, and I stopped being into music, and I stopped being silly, and I stopped I stopped getting up and putting the deftones on because I thought it would annoy people, and I stopped trying to pretend I was into football because I love football, and I felt bad for being into football. All these things about me that I liked and that made me, I ended up feeling bad about, and I let other people have their own way. And gradually, one of the most selfish things about having a breakup is I've got my own time now, and I'm gradually finding out, oh, it's okay to like music again. It's okay to be silly and say silly things and, um, and, 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 and be a bit of a child and, and be childish. It's okay to, have a, to want to have a laugh all the time, but laughing's amazing and make people laugh. It doesn't mean that you're a clown. It just means that you like having a laugh. So I think I'd started to take my... No, I never took myself serious, but I think I lost myself a bit. And ironically, I did that to try and keep hold of the person that fell in love with me for all the things that I'd stopped doing. So I was... I was so yeah, but I bet, I bet you stopped doing them all and then they stopped loving you. Yeah, you know, like, I'm trying so hard to please someone yeah. that I lost myself. Yeah, you try so hard that you, you make all these changes and it's the changes invariably are the things that they dislike. Yeah, you start distilling yourself. So you, you become a watered-down version of what you were and before you know it, you like, you know, you, you know you're a boring old man. Or that's how, that's how you're made to feel. Yeah. And I'm not a boring old man. No. I know a lot more boring old men than me. And, no, you know at all. And there's nothing wrong with being a boring old man. Like, why is that a bad thing? If you want to be a boring old man and sit on your porch all day drinking or do whatever you want to do, that's fine. Why does everybody have to be interesting? Like, we're, just, we're only here for excellent. We're, we're nothing. We're just we're a carbon. We don't have to be anything. But we always, I certainly feel like I need to be something. I need to be a good dad and, 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 and have some humility and, and, and love people and be able to be open about stuff and honest and that would be me when I'm sitting on my deathbed as long as I'm not lied and things that yeah as as you know what you've just done there <laughs> you've just you've just sorted it all out Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.